0: I'm Chris Motes, and this is Faith in Politics. On this broadcast, we range from the soul to the state as we cultivate those virtues and explore those principles that help us live well as faithful Catholics in this great land. Well, folks, we are uh, through our legislative session, through nine weeks of faith and politics in the Capitol building up in Pierre. Our only day left is March 29th, known in the biz as Veto Day. And there's a little bit of uh, political uh, high drama, you might say, going on right now. House Bill 1217, a bill to protect women's sports, uh, fairness in women's sports, is on our governor's desk and there's there's some hesitation in signing it, despite uh, early assurances that it would get signed. Um, I, I may, in closing, just offer a few remarks on what Catholics might do about the bill. But just to kind of thinking about the issue, um, I, I wanted to bring bring on the program uh, an experts to kind of help us really think through gender ideology, and some of the surrounding issues really well as Catholics. Um, the mind of the church really has a lot to offer us as Catholics, and, and so formation is, is really, really important. My guest today is Dr. Andrew Sodergren. Dr. Sodergren practices uh, psychology at Rua Woods Psychological Services, which is associated with uh, Rua Woods, a Catholic nonprofit ministry founded to help build a culture of life by teaching and promoting the theology of the body. Dr. Sodergren holds master's and doctoral degrees in clinical psychology from the Institute for the Psychological Sciences in Arlington, Virginia. IPS is the only graduate school in existence devoted to integrating the best psychological science with a Catholic view of the human person and the moral life. And I had the pleasure of meeting Dr. Sodergren a couple of years ago. He was in South Dakota doing some really great uh, workshop training for our Catholic school teachers throughout the state, uh, both in Sioux Falls and, and Rapid City. So, Dr. Sotogren, welcome to the program.
1: Thank you, Chris. It's great to be here.
0: <laughs> well, well, we've got a, a really big topic, and, and I know my listeners have heard some things about gender ideology and gender dysphoria before, um, but just with the timing um, of this bill, I thought it'd be really important to kind of revisit some of the basic things that we can uh, take from both theology and the psychological sciences. Um, so, mm-hmm. it, you know, and one of the questions that I, I keep getting again and again from, you know, Catholics, are, they're, they're mass going, they, they go to mass on Sundays, but aren't necessarily, I don't know, maybe haven't really thought about this issue before. That's the question is like, why is it, you know, why is it that big of a deal? You know so. I, you know, obviously it's a big topic and we could begin in so many different places, but, you know, in your introduction, I mentioned the theology of the body. I don't know mm-hmm. if that's the best place to begin. Do you want to just maybe um, help us help us understand what is this theology of the body sure. as, as maybe the, a springboard for the entire topic?
1: Yeah, sure. I think that's a great place to start, Chris. Uh, many Catholics don't realize that our faith actually has a lot to say about male and female uh about what we call the sexual difference the fact that we are made male and female and a lot of what um the church has to say about this um it was it was really developed to a large degree or or or, um expanded to a large degree by john paul ii um pope saint john paul ii he in a sense saw the writing on the wall um He could read the signs of the times of what was going on in the 20th century uh, with uh, the Nazi Holocaust, followed by the sexual revolution uh, and the things going on in Western culture. And he could see that this breakdown of our understanding of what it means to be human, including our maleness and our femaleness, was at the root of uh, so much of, of what was going on in the culture and what continues to, to go on in the culture. And he was deeply concerned about that. And so he wrote extensively about the nature of the human person and about uh, what it means to be created male or female. And One of the ways he did that uh, was through the theology of the body, which he delivered as a series of talks early in his papacy uh, at his general audiences. So this is a teaching that he had been developing as a theologian and as a bishop in Poland. And then when he was elected pope, he brought this teaching to the universal church. And this isn't in any way a departure from the church's prior teaching. It's simply a developing, a flowering, if you will of our our ancient Catholic faith, uh, taking the riches of our faith and applying it to these modern-day questions regarding sex and gender. And so I'll give you a few important principles uh, that come from our Catholic faith, and I'll be drawing in, in a particular way from John Paul's theology of the body. Um, one of the, the basic principles that we have to bear in mind is simply the, the idea that we are Creatures. In other words, that we are created by God. You know, we don't create ourselves. God creates us. He gives life to us. He gives us existence. So our very being and our very lives are gifts given to us that we are to receive. And that means that they're already pregnant, if you will, with meaning with a rich meaning that, that is there, uh, inscribed there by the creator. And it's our job to uncover that, to discover that. It's almost as if, one, one analogy I like to use sometimes, it's, it's as if we wake up one day and we realize that we're, we're in a play, a theatrical production, and we've been given a role. And the play is already underway. It started long before we showed up on the scene and it's going to continue after our part on, on, on stage is over, but we've been given a role and our job is to discover what that role is Mm. and to help develop it, right? It's not, it's not, uh, so scripted that we don't have a partnership in creating, but the role is in a sense already defined to some degree and our job is to receive it and then cooperate in developing it and that's so important that that's essential an essential part of what I think it means to be a creature and another important point that we get from theology of the body not only are we creatures meaning that we, we, we receive ourselves from God but as creatures we are a unity of body and soul you know human beings are unique in the cosmos. In a certain sense, because um, on one hand, we're sort of like the angels in that we have spiritual capacities like reason and free will. We have this ability to commune with God. Uh, on the other hand, we are physical beings like the rest of the animal kingdom. right we have we have bodies, we need food, we need rest, all of those things that come with being bodily. And so the human person, in a very unique way, brings together, the entire cosmos, the spiritual and the physical, and and, and he sort of is, is in a way, uh, the pinnacle of of the visible creation. And our bodies are integral. They're integral to who we are. Man is is a unity of body and soul. And the church has been very clear um, throughout the centuries, and, and this was reiterated in a particular way at the Second Vatican Council, that... We are not to despise our bodies, mm. right? And, and I'll, I'll give yeah. you a, di- a direct quote here from uh, from Gaudi Mitzpez, the, the one of the, the um, constitutions of the, the Second Vatican Council. Man is not allowed to despise his bodily life. Rather, he is obliged to regard his body as good and honorable since God has created it and will raise it up on the last day. Mm. Right. And it's so important. Um, Yeah. And it's, it's so beautiful too. I think, I mean, just really to
0: encapsulate it in a really short um, so matter matters. And we know that about all sorts of things matter matters, but um, even to just conceive it in a sense, it wouldn't be exactly right to say that I have a body. It would be a bit more correct to say that I am a body. Absolutely. Uh, I am a body and a soul. That's That's what I am. That's correct. Um, It's not just like this, this meat suit, you know, this, right. this flesh thing that I occupy. It That's is right. me.
1: That's right. We are not a, a, a spirit simply trapped in a shell. And the goal of the Christian life is not to, to escape the body, uh, to go to heaven. The, the hope of the Christian is actually the resurrection of the body. It is to mm. be whole and entire body and soul raised up and to participate in the new creation that Christ will usher in at the end of time. Right. So our bodies absolutely are integral to who we are. It's more appropriate to say I am my body than I have my body.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And so the body, um, to develop this just a little further, John Paul II describes the body as, in a sense, the sacrament of the person. He says the body reveals the person. It makes visible the invisible reality of uh, of our interior life our spirituality right so it, it, the body and the soul work together to make us who we are and it is through the body that we discover our maleness and our femaleness right so we discover in the body these these signs of being male or being female and it's important to recognize that these are not simply Um, insignificant biological facts, but they are fundamental aspects of who we are because the body reveals the person. When I see the signs in my body of maleness, that tells me and tells the world that I am a male person. Mm. That's the, the kind of human person that I am. And that has something very significant to say about my identity and about my vocation.
0: So, so you've, um, you know, we can see it in our bodies, which, which uh, and we're maybe 10 minutes in here and there's a lot of, lots of stuff to cover, but I, I do want to get to gender too, because yeah. that is in some ways, a distinct concept from the biological reality of our body. Isn't it? Even if it's inseparable, mm-hmm. we can distinguish it. Can't, can't we?
1: Yeah, you can distinguish these things in this way, that, that the sex revealed by my by my body is in a sense an ontological fact. It's it's something about who and what I am. When we talk about gender and gender identity, we're talking about my awareness, my self-understanding of who I am. So my self-understanding of uh, of my maleness or my femaleness can and sometimes in uh, in some cases, does differ from the biological reality, the the physical reality of my body. Now, ideally, these things would align, right? So, uh, if I if I receive my body and my life as a gift, and I discover in my body my maleness or my femaleness, my understanding of myself should match up with that. Okay, mm-hmm. but in some cases, that's not the case. You have someone who who looks at their body and they say. You know, let's say they, they see in their body um, uh, a, female, uh, a female structure, but they may think to themselves, that's not right. That's not really who I am. I feel more like a male and the terminology in my profession that we use to to describe that um, when a person experiences that disconnect between their self-understanding and the reality of their body if it's distressing for them we call that gender dysphoria Mm. Um, and that's a, a terminology that that is somewhat new um but you hear it uh quite frequently nowadays um we used to call it gender identity disorder uh and the language has changed a little bit uh and we can there's a lot of reasons for that that are not all good but that's the language that we use now we call that gender dysphoria so
0: i you know i think this um gender dysphoria as a psychological condition is, has maybe jumped up on people's radar screens more so just in the past several years because of the way in which it's been valorized. We might say in the media, I think it was maybe, I don't know, five or six years ago that uh, an Olympic, a male Olympic track athlete uh, Bruce Jenner appeared on the cover of Vogue magazine um, with a new name, Caitlin and having feminized his body, Using surgery in some ways, but 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 that's not to say that this psychological condition isn't real in a way that's been around. I don't know for for a long time. Is that that's correct, isn't it? I mean, this is something that people have struggled with. True,
1: I I believe that's true, Chris. uh, That you know, in a certain sense, there's nothing new under the sun. Uh, Yeah, and. Certainly, there's plenty of ways in which the process of of identity formation and uh, accepting myself, understanding myself sexually, can go awry. Um, what's different now from previous generations is our response to that. Yeah, you know, it used to be widely accepted that when someone has this disconnect between their self understanding and the sexual identity revealed by their body, that the goal to help that person would be to help them realign with their body, to accept their body as it is, and to learn to be at peace with it, to accept and be at peace with the sexuality revealed in the body. Only recently, in recent decades... Uh, With the advent of of certain um, medical technologies and with the growth of gender ideology, do we now see a push to recreate the body in line with what my self-understanding says it should be? So if I feel like a male, I should be able to recreate my body to look like a male. If I feel like a female, I should be able to recreate the body to look like a female. And uh, we now have um, medical protocols developed to do this that involve uh, chemical and surgical interventions to change the body and the sexuality to align with the person's perception.
0: So I, I think you've encapsulated gender ideology really succinctly. And I, I think there, there would be a lot of people who would kind of get it like, yeah, OK, that's um, I, I would agree with the way you've just said that Um, And I, I would agree that that's like, not, that's not true. Like, okay. I, you know, boys are boys and girls are girls, but still the question remains like, why should we care necessarily? Like why, why should this be um, something of some substance or urgency or, or interest for people of faith?
1: Well, there's several reasons. Uh, I think you could, you could you can approach this from uh, a theological point, standpoint. You could approach this from a, a psychological, medical standpoint, and, and even kind of a, uh, a sociopolitical standpoint. Um, and it's important in all, in all those ways. Um, you know, I, I said before from a theological point of view that, that male and female have something fundamental to do with our identity and our vocation. Um, we discover who we are. Uh, through our bodies, through, through, um, you know, this gift given to us and our maleness and our femaleness uh, are, are really uh, fundamental for who we are. We, we are created in God's image as his sons or daughters. And there's a distinction. Sons are called to become fathers. Daughters are called to become mothers. Uh, and this vocation we believe it is something that's, that's universal. It's sort of wired into us. And when mm. I say fathers and mothers, I don't necessarily mean in the, just the raw biological sense, but, but to actually mm. love and give life the way that a father loves and gives life to love and give life the way that a mother does those things. This is our, our, fundamental to our human vocation. Uh, and, and so to understand who we are and to be able to live the life that God has planned for us um, means that we have to accept our sexual identity. In fact, the catechism says so quite explicitly. The catechism tells us that everyone must accept their sexual identity. Um, and and this, this is not optional. Um, here, I'll get that quote here. Everyone, man and woman, should acknowledge and accept his sexual identity. This is Catechism, paragraph 2333, right? So this is really important. Yeah. And when we have um, you know, these very public examples uh, of people rejecting their sexual identity and, and recreating the body in a different way, and then this gets um, codified in law or in policies and schools, we have to be very concerned about the effect this is going to have on the next generation. You know, the message that this instills in our young people uh, about who they are and about their body and their sexuality.
0: Yeah. I want to share just a quick story, uh, doctor, that um, my, my wife and I were with our children visiting some in-laws and all the kids, our kids with their cousins were playing out in the backyard and a neighbor girl was over. This is in a, this is in a, a nice neighborhood in a Midwestern city. And the neighbor kid um, is maybe seven or eight and is the oldest in this whole little pack of kids. that's running around. Mm-hmm. And, um, and my wife is, is kind of just watching. She's reading a book on the porch and watching the kids. And she overhears the child say to the rest of the, the younger children, do you guys know what transgender is? It's where you can decide if you're going to be a boy or a girl. Mm-hmm. Um, and my, my wife, God bless her, intervened and, and, and handled the situation um, mm-hmm. just very appropriately. Um, but uh, it just really struck me that, yeah. you know, children don't make this up. Um, ch- children receive this from, from a particular place. So not only is that wrong, but it was, it was taught to her right by you know her parents or school or you know who knows where she picked it up um but um but to just your point though about this you know from the Mm -hmm. catechism everyone man man and woman should acknowledge and accept his sexual identity the the catechism goes on i've got the quote in front of me too it's that all these differences physical moral spiritual differences between the sexes this complementarity is ordered toward the good's of marriage and the flourishing of family life, the harmony of the couple and the harmony of society depends on this. So this is, this is, um, yes, I guess in my mind, one of the reasons it's important is, is that, you know, to, to accept this aspect of reality, it's not just, uh, sort of a sideshow aspect of reality. It's it's like integral to the good of the human person, yes. and it's bound up in our happiness.
1: Absolutely. <laughs>
0: Not just yes. as individuals, but also our social happiness, our social harmony, as the right. catechism says. So if you're just tuning in, this is Chris Motz. I'm the host of Faith and Politics. I'm joined by Dr. Andrew Sodergren. Um, from Rua Woods, who's got a clinical psycho- uh, psychological practice and also does a lot of great work with theology of the body training. We're talking about gender dysphoria and gender ideology. Um, could just kind of having this conversation in light of some bills uh, in the South Dakota legislature. So doctor, we've got, we've got about five or so minutes um, left remaining. You know, what, is, you know, what do you see as, as maybe the mission of the church just trying to think, maybe prophetically, like what is what is our mission as baptized people at this moment in time, as we're seeking to to give hope, to heal, to tell the truth. You know, what are your thoughts about the path path ahead?
1: Sure. Uh, what comes to mind immediately is is uh, the line from St. Paul about speaking the truth in love. Mm. uh i think that's so central to the church's mission especially in in our our current day and age that uh we have to hold up the light of truth and this is what john paul ii was always you know tirelessly doing hold up the light of truth especially the truth of who man is
0: Mm.
1: What does it mean to be a human person so that, you know, we, we hold up this truth so that, um, when, you know, when, when people hear this message, something inside of them should go, should should say, yes, yes, that there's a resonance there because it corresponds with how we were made. Even if we don't realize it, even if we've never been taught, when you see something that that speaks to the, the deepest level of your heart, there's a resonance and something inside says, yes, I want to know more. Mm. And that is absolutely crucial to the church's mission. The truth has to be spoken in love, meaning we have to recognize where people are at and appreciate uh, their suffering. You know, these people who, who do experience gender dysphoria suffer incredibly. Uh, mm. We know from research that uh, there are very high rates of depression and anxiety, um, sometimes substance use disorders and and often uh, suicidal tendencies uh, among this population of people. So there's, there's very real suffering and we wanna come alongside and support and help them and and try to alleviate their suffering. But any attempt to help has to be in harmony with the truth of the human person. Because if we deviate from that truth, even if our intentions are good, even if I say that I love this person and I want what's good for them, but if I'm not acting in accord with the truth, then I'm ultimately going to harm them. All right, Because I'm going to offer them strategies or helps or, or you know, whatever that ultimately does not Man. accord with their nature. Well, as
0: long as we've got a couple minutes left and you've brought it up, you know, we hear this claim bandied about that. Actually, it's you people who don't accept this that are causing increased suffering and perhaps even increased suicide. Is that is that a claim valid?
1: Absolutely not. Uh, So as you pointed out earlier in the program, Chris, you know, these struggles, uh, this gender dysphoria phenomenon is not a new thing. It's been around for a long time. And we've seen these same rates of suffering. Um, you know, throughout and even in cases where people nowadays have access to these treatments and go forward with transitioning, we still see tremendous suffering in this population. You know, it, it, you change the body, uh, you might feel better for a while because you, you you like a little bit more what you see in the mirror, but ultimately it doesn't ail what really is hurting in the person's heart yes. because you can't erase their fundamental maleness or femaleness you know, it's always going to be there.
0: Well, speak the truth in love. And I'm so grateful, doctor, that you just do that so well. If people want to learn a little more about um, Rua Woods, where might they check out your organization?
1: Sure. We have a couple of different websites, uh, Rua Woods Press. That's all one word. R-U-A-H, com is a great place to learn about our K-12 through Theology of the Body curriculum. Yep. Uh, and also uh, Rua Woods, uh, org. It's kind of our general website. And then for my uh, practice, it's rwpsych.org. Very good.
0: Well, thank you so much for joining us on the program. Grateful that you took the time.
1: Thank you, Chris. I'm glad to be here. And thank
0: you, dear listeners, for, for tuning in. Before we wrap up for, for, the, for the evening, just want to share that uh, the House Bill 1217 At the time of broadcast uh, on, let's see, Tuesday, March 23rd, we've got uh, a little under a week until Veto Day, and House Bill 1217, which I mentioned at the beginning of the program, is a bill that uh, the bishops of South Dakota have endorsed, testified on its behalf in committee uh, throughout the legislative process, and kind of had some ups and downs, but ended up uh, successful in the House. Uh, with 50 votes in favor and then and then passed through the Senate with 20 votes in favor on the governor's desk. Uh, just last week, the governor has said that she is um, asking for what, what's called a style and form veto, essentially using uh, one of her veto powers, Article 4, Section 4 of our state constitution, and requiring some, some pretty big changes uh, to House Bill 1217, including taking collegiate sports out of the bill. Um, and just the thing for listeners to know is that the bishop's uh, position is unchanged at this point in time. We've su- supported House Bill 1217 as it is written. So people could, could reach out to the governor's office, just uh, drop her a note or, or, or send a phone call in, call the office and say, you know, please, dear governor, please sign House Bill 1217 as, that's, as it's written. And, uh, and we're praying for you. know that we support you and really just pray that the Holy Spirit might give you all those supernatural gifts that you need to uh, do the will of the Lord and seek the common good. That's it. Until next time, live well.